Hey everyone, Jeff Wu here. This episode is going to be a bit different from your normal HVMN podcast programming. It's the first one labeled unfiltered, which means that this episode is a raw conversation centered on a hot and recent topic, breaking news style. This way, the latest news and discussion comes to you fresh. In what will probably be known as the most controversial and groundbreaking scientific achievements this year, if not this decade, Chinese scientist Dr. He Jianhui announced last week that he created the world's first genetically edited babies. He used CRISPR to create immunity to HIV in twins, and these twins were born earlier this year. The blowback was immediate, with virtually the entire scientific community criticizing Dr. He as unethical. China's vice minister of science and technology called the experiment unacceptable and said that Dr. He's scientific activities would be suspended. I chat with my good friend Dr. Josiah Zayner. He's a biohacker and he's the founder CEO of the Odin, a genetic engineering company. We discuss this scientific milestone of CRISPR babies, the ethical and moral questions surrounding the research and the subsequent birth of these babies, and what this might mean for the future now that Pandora's box has been opened. Dr. Josiah Zayner, welcome back on the program. It's always fun to chat. Yeah, man. I love being here. You guys are great. <laughs> so topic of the moment, human CRISPR babies. Yeah. Right. Let's let's unpack that. All right. So here's what happened. It was actually pretty crazy because apparently the Associated Press, AP, has been sitting on this story for a few months. But uh, last Sunday, not yesterday, but like a week week ago, uh, Antonio Regalado from the MIT Tech broke the story. I don't know how how exactly he found out, right. um, but he found out. And he broke the story on the MIT Tech, and like Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like the whole like Twitter just blew up. Yeah, you know, um, I still think a lot of like it hasn't reached public consciousness yet. It hasn't hit the zeitgeist, right? We haven't had like Trump comments on it <laughs> or anybody like yeah. that. But I would say in terms of science news, it's probably the biggest science news at least of this year. But oh, yes, yeah, it's totally. not. And probably of next year also. Right, but is it breaking the Trump stratosphere of, of PR? Not quite yet. Which I is agree. really interesting. It's That's super interesting. We could talk about that in a yeah. bit because it's like one of the mo most monumental things to me that's happened Absolutely. to humanity. Yeah, if you look at a historical context, it's the first time that we've <laughs> genetically engineered a human and, being uh, and human it was being. born. Yeah. yeah, no, it's crazy. But yeah, it happened and like everything just exploded and... It, it's it's interesting because if you look at all the scientists, all the academic scientists, all the PhDs, almost two, almost a hundred percent. There's a few here and there, but like almost a hundred percent of them are against genetically modifying embryos and allowing them to turn into right. humans. Hundred, almost a hundred percent. Which yeah, is well, crazy. let's talk about the ethical and moral questions there. Wait, but wait, I want to just zoom. Wait, hold back. on. Well, let me, okay, let me, let me finish one sec. Yeah. But if you look at, so you can like, you know, go on Twitter and you look at all the comments from like, just like not non-scientists, non-PhDs, and it's weird because there's a large percentage of them that are pro, right? And yeah. the, there's even been studies that have come out in the past year that have shown that like. There's only like 11% of people are against, against, you're talking like across the globe, 11% of people are against using human genetic engineering in case of disease. Mm -hmm. Only 11% are against. It's, and the academics who were for it before this happened, all of a sudden are against it now. Um, I think there's an interesting social phenomenon there in terms of how to have the higher moral ground or don't be criticized or at, castigated out of the academic elite. I think there's some interesting I think there is a social lot of that. political phenomenon that might be reflected in like the larger political landscape where it's very easily to be polarized and easily shunned these days. Well, you have to ask yourself, like, how do academics store value? Right. As business owners, you and I, like we store value through revenue of our company right. for, for through our salaries and all these things. But academics don't have those things. Right. Their salary doesn't really grow. Yeah. Yeah. Like 
they don't in in the whole outside world they they don't really have anything to offer besides the fact that they're a phd besides the fact that you know they're smart and yeah. know better than everybody else so knowing better is like their thing yeah yeah and that's like you said that's the position they they seem to take is like i know best it's interesting because a lot of people on twitter i've seen say that they're like well I have a PhD and I'm an expert. And I'm like, hey, look, like everybody can read the same scientific papers you right. can. Like just because somebody doesn't have a PhD doesn't mean you know more than them That's or that you're smarter. That's an point. It's like you have a PhD in ethics and, and human value and human morals, right? It's like their PhD is in some fine space in biochemistry or human physiology, but this is almost a philosophical moral question or political question more than a science question. Yeah, maybe even, but like, I don't know. Like, to me, ethics, as much as we try to tell them, and, I, you know, of course, I don't want to, like, kill people for right. no reason or something like that, even though somebody's going to say I said that. <laughs> to me, ethics and morals are kind of just, like, some made-up thing that we use to, like, control people. Yeah. Right? Yeah, let, let's talk about <laughs> that. But for folks who haven't followed the story, let's just set the uh, okay. the landscape, the yeah, framework. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Dr. He Jianquai... Chinese scientist made some CRISPR babies. Yeah, lay out the facts. So what he did, so is Dr. Zhen Kui, yeah. like uh, he did his PhD at Rice University, then did a postdoc at Stanford. Uh, after that, he went back to China and started working at a university in Shenzhen, um, and they gave him some money to start working on these things. Uh, and he started doing experiments on embryos, on rat or mice, and then on monkey embryos using gene editing to see if he could, you know, remove diseases and doing all this stuff in embryos and grow them then into adults and if it affected anything or if there were negative consequences. Yeah. And he saw very promising results across the board. Uh, was he known to be a leader in the space or was he... No, not he at would, all. He was just... Some minor researcher well, out so of we've China. Had, for the past at least two years, we've had the capabilities to use gene editing, CRISPR gene editing in embryos. Yeah, we've we had the capabilities to gene edit embryos for much, much, much longer. But to use CRISPR gene editing, at least the past two years, we've had the capabilities. That's when the papers were published. You know, there's been some papers published from China and other places. Uh, so, but nobody was really doing anything with it. So there's kind of like a rule in science. You can't let an embryo live past 14 days. Hmm. Um, it's pretty arbitrary, I think. I don't know exactly why it's 14 days, uh, but that's the rule. Once the embryo hits 14 days, you have to like destroy it and dispose of it. So some prestigious committee of top researchers decided... This is the ethical bounds. We're going to kill all embryos. This is where it gets weird, days. right? Because like all these same people generally are on the pro-choice side, <laughs> right, of the abortion debate. Fair enough, because they're probably left-leaning on in terms of politics. Yeah, I agree. yeah. And so when the embryo has 14 days, it's a human. But when the embryo is like, I don't know. Six, th three months, six months, or yeah, first trimester. It's not human. Uh, I think that's weird. You know, one of those like ethical weird crossover where you're like, wait. You can't have both. You gotta have one or the other. Yeah. So, anyway, this guy was just like, why isn't anybody doing this? Kind of similar to when I injected myself with CRISPR, but this is like on another level. And he was just like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to try to make this baby. So that's actually a good comparison just to help elucidate for the folks listening. So when you injected yourself with CRISPR, you have your fully formed natural DNA and you just try to manipulate a small section of your genome. I think this is a muscle growth yeah. gene in your arm. Yeah. So ostensibly there, you would have a little bit of an editing in that small spot. Yeah. But for this experiment, this is full embryo. You're changing the DNA at birth. Yeah. So he, you know, decided to do this. He chose this gene CCR5, which there's naturally occurring mutations in the CCR5 gene. So basically it's a receptor on your cells that HIV uses to enter your cells and replicate. So if it's mutated, sometimes HIV can't get in. Mm -hmm. And we found that 
mutations to the CCR5 gene prevents HIV infection. It basically makes you immune to HIV. And uh, it's naturally occurring in primarily European populations. But it's super well studied. They've done it in embryos before, right? It's a, or maybe it was hematopoietic stem cells or stem cells and stuff like that, but they've well studied the CCR5 gene. And I'm pretty sure that's the reason he chose it. It it was the lowest hanging fruit. We already knew how to use CRISPR to target it. We already knew what was the best, you know, ways to target it with CRISPR and all this stuff, super Mm -hmm. well studied. So he went to HIV support groups and recruited some parents to participate um, where the father had HIV and the mother didn't and set about, you know, engineering these embryos to have a mutation in the CCR5 gene so that the children would be immune. Um, Technically, it can be passed on to future generations, but because you need two copies of it, it won't 100% be passed on, and it's unlikely for it to invade any population or anything like that because... You need, you know, multiple. Right, and this is a fairly rare genotype. Yeah. Um, but the he did, like, a ton of ana- analysis and, like, experiments to confirm how it worked and what happened. It was super rigorous. He said he paid for it all himself, which I'm kind of skeptical of. Because this is expensive stuff. What do you? Th- I mean, given your experience here, how much do you think this would have cost? Oh, geez, it depends on a lot. But right, so we're talking. What happened? He had multiple couples, right? Yeah. They had to harvest the eggs. Then they had to take the eggs, do DNA sequencing, genome sequencing on all of them. Then what they had to do is experiments, genetic engineering experiments on them, sequence. You know the embryos after they do the genetic engineering. So you engineering. put CRISPR on it, see if it actually holds. And, and then what you could, it's really cool. What you could do nowadays, what they learned is when you have an embryo and uh, you like try to genetically modify it, you let it grow a little bit bigger till it has like, you know, say 16 cells. Okay. And then you could take off like two cells yeah. using a micro pipette and you could sequence those cells to see how the gene editing affected the embryo. And it doesn't hurt the embryo at all. Like wow. not even a little. Yeah. You take off one sixteenth of the biomatter. Yeah, no, okay. right? Because those cells eventually expand and grow. Those are okay. basically like stem cells. They yeah. haven't really been defined yet. Okay. So it doesn't matter too much. But yeah, so he was able to do that, sequence them. Um, I don't know. It was To me, it was a really great and rigorous experiment. And like nobody doubts the science. Yeah. Like the science he did is pretty straight up legit. I don't know if he self-funded it. Yeah, as far as we know, like, God, just like wow, like I'm so impressed because I, if it was me, like I don't know if I would have presented the data. Like what happens a lot with scientists, like you know, when when you've done, you know, research with the ketones and stuff like that, like scientists. They don't want to see the data and what the truth is. What they just want is an avenue to criticize you, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically all data is. Yeah. An avenue for scientists to criticize you. Yeah. It's funny. But he did it and uh, you know, it was so rigorous that like nobody <laughs> like nobody criticized the science at all. And that's impressive in and of itself. And that's like I don't know if he did him if he did if he did all this stuff with himself and a couple other people like wow I am impressed that's what he claims yeah and uh if so it's like the ultimate biohack right cuz he's super scrappy with the efficiency then yeah in um, terms of like capital cuz it sounds like he didn't have crazy amounts of funding didn't have crazy amounts of government I mean it sounds like the government has kind of backed away the university has kind of backed away in terms of the support and all of that. So I think that's kind of show though. You think it's show? You think there was some, I mean, it sounds like from your perspective, this was a serious, rigorous effort that required a lot of time, money and diligence. And there's not some back room operation. No, no. I mean, they worked with, you know, legit medical researchers. Apparently they just misled them what actually was going on. Right. They, they told them that like they were just trying a new, uh, sequencing technology out on the embryos before they implanted them or something right but like all the doctors yeah, that, yeah so i think if we just steal in all the critics 
So it seems like the biggest concerns that I've read is that one, the ethical forms were a little bit misleading. So the couples, the patients didn't exactly know that they're getting to get their babies genetically engineered. That yeah. seemed to be one thrust of the attack. Yeah. Two is that, again, from an ethical or longitudinal critique, this has never been done before. Um, are these babies going to be harmed in the long term? Because you've just manipulated their genes in a, in a, in a, in a, in a novel way. And it, I guess third is that a, a critique is uh, this is more of an engineering project than an actual medical use case in the sense that CCR5, HIV prevention, some scientists are saying that that's kind of like a hand wave excuse to do the experiments, really more of an engineering challenge and the medical use exemption or the medical use case is kind of like a little bit of a excuse to, to do this experiment. Um, and I guess the last point was that there's some uh, nitpicking around the deletion and the addition of the exact CRISPR site oh, yeah. where, it, you know, one oh, man, of the twins, yeah, yeah, no. one of the twins was like heterozygous. So there wasn't a full deletion or full manipulation of the CCR5 gene. The other one had, you know, like four deletions, one addition. So there was some, I, I guess, concerns around exactly what they did on the exact allele. Yeah. I mean, the ethics stuff kind of blows my mind because if somebody asked you, right, like, we can make your child HIV resistant and I'll do it for like $5,000 or $10,000. Yeah. Or if you can't afford that, let's just say $500 or something. Yeah. How many people would turn that down? Well, I guess it's like, how, what are the side effects and risks? But it sounds like they told them that this was somewhat risky. I mean, so here's the crazy thing. Yeah. Right now, when you have a child, what they do is they draw blood from the mother, they collect fetal cells, yeah. and they do a couple experiments. So normally they look for just chromosomal abnormalities. Those are the major things. But you can pay extra and they'll look for, I don't know, like 30 or 40 different uh, genetic diseases. What these people did is they did whole genome sequencing on these embryos, like seriously. So like the embryos have the cleanest bill of health of any embryo that's basically ever been born. <laughs> Number one. So this is state of the art. This is which is beyond just standard crazy. Care. Yeah. Because normally, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen that you you can't that aren't detected right. by normal things. You know, I don't know stuff like I don't know if cystic fibrosis or like um, other things like that are just they're normally not tested for. I don't know if they are. I don't think right. they are. Right. Babies. So these babies are just like really clean. People say you could do that with you know, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, but this is not standard in any way right, this is to do whole genome stuff. sequence. Yeah. The next thing is they did the sequencing after they did the experiment, right? And they only found one possible change that could have been made by this genetic engineering technique, CRISPR. But it's they don't know if that's what caused it because it wasn't, at a normal off-target site or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And this mutation change is nowhere near any gene, nowhere near any non-coding RNA. It's just completely in a place where it should have absolutely zero effect. A any normal scientist would, would conclude that, right? If they saw it, they would say, you know, that shouldn't be any problem. Okay. So when we're talking about the ethics of, like, will this baby get hurt or have any we're pretty sure that there's nothing negligible that that's going to happen based on just like bad stuff from an accident. The next thing people argue is that, well, there's this really shitty ass paper, which is hilarious, really shitty paper, which looked at 23 people who had mutations to CCR5, 23, mm -hmm. two who had were homozygous. They had both, both copies were mutated, so yeah. they were resistant to HIV. Was it two? No, it was three. Three people. Three. Three. We're talking three here. One of them died from influenza, right? So we're looking at, you know, like, does influenza cause more deaths than people with this CCR5 mutation? They did 146 people as control, and they compared these two. Like, 
what scientist would say that is a reasonable experiment, but all scientists across the internet are touting this as like, oh, people with CCR5 are going to be more at risk for influenza. Yeah, and you're like, like you guys are, scientists are terrible because they pick and choose what they want to like. Right. Like say is true or real or like. So you think that this is just noise. This is one out of 13 people or 23 people. And it was dumb luck. No, this was one out of three. So if okay. you look at then the heterozygous, which is another like 21 yeah. people, right? They, I think they saw, I forget what it was, but it was like slightly different than the 146 or something. But you're just like 20 people. That's not like a reasonable sample size right. for any sort of epidemiological study. Right. Right. It doesn't make any sense. And right. people are like citing this paper being like, I read this paper where influenza can... You're just like, come on. And even so, you know, you can, you know, protect these mm. children right. just in case or test their T-cell. I, I guess like the... I, I want to just play devil's advocate or steal on the other side. It would be like, okay, the therapeutic benefits aren't ne- negligible. Uh, and there's perhaps some reasonable risk of increasing exposure to influenza and some other diseases so the medical story I think west here nile is, is the other one you're like yeah. come on west nile really oh geez Do people get west nile anymore i thought that was like the scare of like 2000 yeah. and then nobody got it. yeah but, but i guess it's like well you bear you it's unclear if you gave them hiv resistance uh, i guess it's like okay the so it's pretty clear that one of the babies got hiv resistance and it's easy to look at because with scientists forget to so hiv binds to this receptor at specific place right right? so it need you need specific amino acids on this receptor right and one of the twins they have full mutations on that ccr5 so if you look at so the one heterozygous and the two other mutations that binding site for hiv is completely wiped out yeah so there's basically no chance that hiv could get into cells through that way right so how about there are other receptors that hiv can go into but for the hiv on ccr5 yeah you've 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 fucked up the door so they're basically basically like the the people with natural immunity it's a different mutation but it should do the exact same thing there's no reason to think anything otherwise right from like a biochemistry point of view uh the one child that had one copy and one copy that was mutated and the other one wasn't you know they have uh, less chance of, you know, getting HIV in it, spreading in their system, but the, they aren't fully immune. immune. Yeah. Okay. But apparently he told the parents about this beforehand and they were okay with that, right? They wanted twins or whatever. And so that's what happened. Right. Um, but like, to me... The experimentation on the embryo, to me, it wasn't experimentation necessarily, right? To me, experimentation is you have no idea what's going to happen, right? Yeah. That's an experiment. An experiment is when you're like, uh, all right, I'm going to try this, take this drug, do this thing and see what happens. They know every single, like they, normally they do like 30 times coverage on a DNA sequence, right? right? So they'll sequence it 30 times to make sure that, they don't make any mistakes. Right. These babies they did like a hundred times, so more than two x or three yeah. x normal. They know everything in the DNA. They know every right. I agree not with you. Doing I would this say this is an, an engineering project. I think the techniques were known. It has never been done before. So this is more of like a totally. This is physically possible. This is technique wise possible. But this is us actually doing the steps in a human embryo and taking it to term. Exactly. I think that's all it is. Yeah. But people say it's experimenting on children. It's it's not experimenting. Do you buy the story that you know he chose a CCR five? Just do you, do you think it was more of a? So I think we can kind of agree that this is definitely more of an engineering application. And then if so, it seems that there's quite a bit of maybe scientific jealousy or that's a lot. Here's the thing: when I did my experiment yeah. where I injected myself, people thought you're crazy and like you're horrible. Well, not just that, but like the first thing you do is you're like all right, what's the easiest target I can choose, right? Because I want to make sure this works. And that's why you choose CCR5, I think. And people are like, oh, you know, like... He chose something that's not super therapeutically relevant. But he chose it because 
He knew he understood it. Yeah, yeah. he knew how it was going to work. And I think a lot of that, people are trying to find reasons wrong with that is because they wanted to be, like you said, they wanted to be first. Yeah. They wanted it to happen for them. They wanted it to happen for America. They wanted it to happen for a lot of different things. If you look at the headline from the MIT Tech, it's fucking ridiculous. It says Chinese scientist does this almost in a derogatory way. Like if it was somebody from Italy, would it have said Italian scientist or somebody from the UK would have said British scientist? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe, but maybe. I don't think so. Right? Like it's this weird. There's battle. definitely some com- competition between U.S. and China, but I, I, I mean, science I, is to be huge though, right? Okay. Especially because all the embryo editing that's been going on has been in China. Okay. And U.S. scientists are almost in this. You know, people call it the modern space race, the modern gene race against China because China's like, like China already has clinical trials going with CRISPR. Right. In the U.S., we don't have any. Right. No other country, I think, has any. Right. China already edited human embryos with CRISPR. In the U.S., one guy claimed he did, and he was just tore to shreds. <laughs> Melipitov from like, I don't know, uh, yeah. up up in the northwest. Right, so there's this like, almost. There, there's this huge battle between China and U.S. and science right now. Yeah, and it's crazy. Hey, listeners, Dr. Brianna Stubbs jumping in here quickly to share a really nice HVMN customer testimonial from Trevor J, who is a student at Mississippi State. Let's listen to what he has to say about Sprint, our nootropic for acute focus. I take Sprint when I'm trying to write papers, when I have a test the next day, anything like that. I don't necessarily take Sprint on a daily basis, but I take it when I need it. I also take Sprint when I have soccer. I began experimenting with nootropics in soccer about my freshman year, I want to say. And so I started taking it in practice. I really liked the way I was playing, the way I was thinking. And so I took it during games and now I take it every time I play soccer. I personally don't understand why more people don't take nootropics when it comes to sports because that mental side is huge when it comes to sports. You're able to think extremely clear. You're able to focus, you're narrowing in, you're not worried about who's texting you, who's Facebooking you, nothing like that. You're able to focus. Great to hear that Sprint is helping you out in both academia and sport, Trevor. This month's special podcast offer is 15% off our HVMN performance supplements line, which includes the aforementioned Sprint. Simply visit www.hvmn.com forward slash pod to claim that offer. Again, that is www.hvmn.com forward slash pod. This offer ends on December 31st, 2018. Now back to the podcast. I mean, so so yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's probably a, definitely a different level because I think there is like that geopolitical yeah. context around trade war. You have two rising or once one preeminent power, one rising power, and I think there's been you know in historical record like 14 out of 18 times that has happened in the past. There's a war. And I think China is obviously developing technologies in terms of computing, AI, and, and, and genetic engineering. So I think there is some concern and, and scare, I don't know, a fear or, or around that, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I think there's a huge fear, right? Yeah. Because people are afraid that, like, they're going to be left behind. People are afraid that, like, like, if you look at all the big fears around gene editing, it's, like, the big fears are always, I'm afraid it's only going to be available to the wealthy. Right. I'm afraid that like my children are going to be left behind. I'm afraid I'm going to be left behind. Right. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to compete in the workforce right. and all this, all this stuff. And it's like that, that does suck. And it is sad. But the thing is that instead of like trying to push to ban this stuff or push to push it to the outskirts, what we could do is work to make it accessible to everybody. Right. And then people wouldn't have these worries. Right. Which is kind of your ethos and mission in terms of democratizing biohacking or these tools, right? Yeah, no, totally. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, where do you think this stands in terms of, I think we touched upon the ethical moral question a, a bit, but maybe this is the right time to just articulate and just explore all possible concerns here. Um, it seems to me that, and I, I think I'm more along your route of thinking, which is that this is going to be inevitable in the sense that someone was going to take the first step to make this an engineering project and just do it. Do you think that that just opens the gate now where it's like, okay, now it's been done. We can maybe explore oh, this yeah. more and more. Or do you think it's going to be the opposite effect where it's like, 
You know, no, Dr. Head is a crazy iconoclast. He's going to be like the Galileo. We're going to like put him in jail. We're going to critique him. This whole field is going to be I blocked. would be surprised if he gets put in jail or anything like that. He might like disappear for a little while. Which like, apparently he, I was just Googling him right before we jumped on. Apparently he, there's rumors he's been disappeared over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think he's like literally, like I can't imagine... If it happened in the U.S., I imagine there might be some backlash or cry, but I imagine that, like, people would find a reason to push forward with this. And I think the same thing is going to happen in China, is that they're going to, this is going to be re, be a reason to push forward with it, not hold back and ask those questions like, all right, where do we go from here? If we want to do this, how do we do it safely and effectively? Right. Did he actually do it safely and effectively? Right. And is that how we're going to do it going forward? So you think like the government and the university system in China who are sort of doing the lip service of criticizing it is lip service? Yeah, I think it's more global lip service to like the scientific community like, oh, yeah, this sucks. Like, it's terrible. We should have, yeah. (laughs) You can't help but like be proud, right? Like you can't. I'm proud for this person. Yeah. And like I have no allegiance to them at all, yeah. nationalistic or university or otherwise. Like I can't imagine there's not other people who are proud <laughs> proud of this person. Like, whoa. It's it's crazy. And it it's yeah, it's just to me it's so impressive. And the fact that like you said, it's gonna be done anyway. There's nothing that we can stop this stuff from happening. And right. it's just if you ask me, if you were to ask any scientist, when do you think embryo editing is going to happen? Everybody probably would have said like uh, 10 years, maybe longer. And it happened in 2008. Like, that's just crazy. But it wasn't a scientific question. It was just who would do it, right? Because the techniques were known. Like as no. you're saying, everyone was doing it in embryo, but they just t- killed them in 14 days. Yeah, it's like you remember the first time where... You know, when you're a kid and, like, you're going to do something wrong or, like, smoke weed or something. Right. And, like, your friend, the first friend who did it or brought the weed along and the first time you did it, it kind of, like, opened this door. (laughs) And then it wasn't such a big deal after that, right? Everybody was just like, oh, yeah, weed, whatever. I did that before. It's not that big. Or maybe a more PC. It's like, oh, the first time you had a drink of alcohol. Yeah, Yeah, drink of alcohol, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, everything, right? It's just like... It's just something that happened. Like, right. if somebody, even if somebody gave me the resources and was like, here's, you know, $50 million, I want you to edit an embryo, I don't know if I would have done it. Because you're like, I don't know if it's possible. No, 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 no. It's totally oh, possible. Okay. Be- just because, like, it's scary, right? Like, did you just... Um- yeah, you, um, um, op- you open the Pandora's box. Yeah, well, I get emails from people all the time now asking me to help genetically modify them for disease. And we're talking there's already like clinical, clinically approved, you know, gene therapies or right. something to help these people. And it's hard for me to even go through with. And you're just like, why? And it's really interesting how we like, the, the medical regulation has made all this stuff like so sacred. Yeah. Right, where it's like, why won't you help somebody who's like suffering? A good example is this first gene therapy approved was called Glybera, and it treats this uh, lipoprotein lipase deficiency, which is like you get accumulation of fats in your blood and all this other stuff. Doesn't sound good. Yeah, as you can imagine, it's not healthy. It's really like when you draw blood from these people, it's fatty, it's white, it's like white. Anyway, they developed this gene therapy called Glybera, tested it, works, you know, gave it to patients, it works. And uh, they were trying to charge a million dollars for it. Apparently, not a lot of people could pay that. Right. Who would have thought? <laughs> and uh, they had to let their approval lapse. So when you get like FDA approval for these things, you have to keep like a certain amount of them on stock at all times. Right. In case people want them, you have to abide by like all these regulations and guards. So of, it's like, not economically viable. Yeah. So, so eventually it, it was economically viable and they let it lapse. Yeah. So there's a gene therapy. We know exactly how to make it. Right. We know the exact way to give it to people. And you're talking, you could probably make this clinical grade for 
you know, less than $10,000, right. maybe less than $5,000. But it's to, not worth it for the drug company. To cure people yeah. of a disease. Yeah. If somebody with that disease came to you right now and was like, I'll give you $100,000 if you like do that for me. It's like a moral quandary, right? Because you're like, I could be thrown in jail for helping cure this person of this disease. And let's say something weird does go wrong and they get hurt or die. I'd sue the hell out of you too. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. not. You know, maybe I could get them to sign a release form or whatever. But like, just talk about curing somebody of a disease. Like curing right. somebody of a disease, we're afraid to do. What does that say about the world? That we're like, we're afraid to cure people of diseases. Yeah, I, I think that's the... <laughs> Well, I think that's a broader political argument around how much do you let the individual choose self-responsibility and, and, and ownership of their choices, right? If they say, I understand the risks, Dr. Zayner, give me this research chemical, I'll sign away all my rights, I want to take this bet, versus we need to listen to authority figures and domain experts to really make sure it's f appropriate for everyone. Yeah. I think that's a tension. I think specifically going back to the baby crisp baby uh, or crisper babies i think the i think the strongest ethical attack is what if you just created totally messed up children and now they live you created sentient life that's going to be suffering for you know 10 20 30 a, a lifetime totally think, but we already do i mean that's the weird thing right yeah it's like when you don't make a choice it's okay Right. Yeah. But when you make a choice and something goes wrong accidentally, totally not okay. Well, I think it's the philosophical almost paradox where it's like the experiment where if you you know move the train tracks and you run over one person versus like letting the train track run over five people. I know. Is does that choice of not doing anything give you a freedom of responsibility? But if you just end up forcing that track to go and kill that one person, you you literally murdered someone. Maybe this is like the next evolution like mentally of humanity is that we realize this, right? Yeah. That like, it's now a time to make these tough choices. We have to stop being philosophical about this stuff and stop having ethicists comment on this stuff. Yeah. We have to make these choices. Yes. Look, right? Right now, millions of people are suffering and dying of these diseases. Of diseases. HIV is a very, I mean, just, it's just known. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people get AIDS and And people are like, oh, well, they could take... They can take uh, drugs, but there's obviously not, there's distribution problems. There's problems with uh, people getting the drugs right. and paying Access. for them in yeah. Africa yeah. and all this stuff. Imagine, right, if they just started, you know, went to Africa and was like, hey, look, we're going to just help you people out, right? right. Or you're going to help yourself out by learning how to do this and, you know, screening embryos and genetically modifying them. And you're going to get rid of HIV, right? Like, that would be crazy. But it would also, like, how much suffering? There are millions. Like, I think it's something like, there's ridiculous numbers. It's like 5 or 6% of the population in Africa. In some places, it's like 30% right, right, of right. people who have HIV. Yeah. Like, that's an epidemic. If there's ever a need for, like, something crazy. Yeah, it's debilitating for society. It's yeah. Just that you can't function. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I, I, I like that we're actually talking about it because I think the popular discourse is that this is horrible, like let's never do this again. And I think that the real question should be, okay, what are the risks and, and, and how do we trade these off, right? Like no one's talking about, okay, how do we do this at scale now? It is more of a, uh, a prohibition conversation, I think. And that's terrible because right. like, I, that's what I keep shouting is like, this stuff is gonna happen. This stuff is gonna happen. Yeah. Like I know crazy bio, you know, genetic engineer, biohacking people who are like injecting themselves with all types of crazy stuff or trying to do all types of crazy stuff with lots of different animals right. and all these things. And like, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to stop it. So stop having that mentality. Right. Stop having the mentality of like, I'm going to ban it and I'm going to stop it because you don't know about the, what this guy in Mrs. rural Mississippi is doing and you're never going to be able to stop him. Right. Right. And you don't know about what this person in Dominicana or Haiti is doing because like, they don't have an FDA, so they don't even give a shit what people do. Right. Right? Yeah. So it's like, we can't stop this. You can't, no matter how hard you try. So, like, we need a framework to go forward. Or we need something to help us go forward. Right. And people aren't thinking like that. And that's yeah. the issue. So I think it's also a shame because 
America pioneered these technologies. I mean, NIH government funding, public funding pioneers these techniques. And now we're a little bit trigger shy on applying that to actual indications or engineering actual solutions or products from these things, which I think it's a little bit of a shame if we're ceding that advantage to China, to other researchers that, you know, may not have U.S. interests in mind. And I think it's like, okay, if we invented it, let's double down and keep our edge there as opposed to ceding that scientific yeah. advantage. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to me, I don't, I don't give a shit about, you know, all this nationalistic stuff and like advantage and disadvantage. All I think is that what's going to happen is like, you know, like I'm going to want to go to China and like research with those people and like <laughs> learn stuff from them. Yeah. Right. And like, because of the world's best now. Yeah. Because it's all these fact, people yeah. like know stuff and like, there's nothing wrong with that, but like what's eventually going to happen is like, you're, you're making me leave my home. Right. It's like, because people are going to do this no matter what. You're going to force people out, right? To me, it's like, and I'm sure people suffer discriminations in a lot worse ways, but it's a type of discrimination, right? It's just yeah. like, look, this is going to happen. Stop trying to... It's like the war on drugs, man, right? We lost the war on drugs. Drugs won. They fought hard and they beat us. And it's like, now we're giving up and we're starting to legalize Yeah, stuff. weed's legal. And we're just like, damn, legal. that was stupid from the beginning. Yeah, put a lot of people in jail for no, ostensibly no reason yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. And then maybe the same thing will start to happen and that's just going to be ridiculous. And, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to be like, oh, shit, like, that was stupid. The war in genetic engineering was really terrible. Yeah. So just in terms of just framing it in terms of what you think this means in terms of scientific importance or human achievement, I think to me it's pretty up there in terms of progress as a civilization, right? Like this is kind of like the man on the moon for it's genetics. It's crazier than that. Think about this, right? Think about this. So Homo sapiens have been the dominant Homo species, human species on earth for like... 50,000 years or something like that, okay. right? And before that, there was other Homo erectus and all, all this other stuff. 50,000 years. And now that has, it's going to change, right? We are now creating new species of humans. I mean, we already kind of have a right. little bit, but now it's like literal. Nobody can say that you know, these aren't going to be new species or anything right. like that. So like literally... Humanity is diverging from Homo sapien, which is just like the craziest thing that you can think of. And not only that, for all of human history, we've never had a choice in our genetics, right? No human being has but had that choice. you could say that I'm going to choose the mate with this certain type. So I think it's like kind but of I like mean, literal animal choice. husbandry level of Yeah, I mean like selection. a literal choice. Like if somebody was like, all right, do you want your baby to be Green immune eye, to eye. HIV? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you could not do that. Sure. Right? You couldn't just like, there was no way to do pre-implantation genetic diagnosis and find one of your... Or just embryos. I'm gonna find that European person and just and try still to it make a baby even, with them. If you weren't right, it would only be heterozygous or something. True, but like yeah, it will take a couple generations. Like like yeah, it's very very so like social engineering type stuff. Yeah, so this is like literally the first time where we can start to choose that stuff, and it just to me it's the largest accomplishment humanity has ever seen, right? Because now is where the crazy stuff happens. Because now humans can be engineered for different environments to do different things, right? Yeah. You can have human beings who want to be a you know, construction worker, and they're engineered to be stronger, bigger, have more arms right. or something like that, right? Do you think the tech is really that prime time? Like, I think we touched a little bit about off-target effects. Do you think it's that defined... Oh, I mean, there's definitely stuff you can do. Obviously, you know, growing more arms in a person is not something we really know how to do yet. But yeah. like the experimentation hasn't been there. Okay. Right. Nobody's really that I know worked with monkeys and tried to get them to grow multiple limbs or anything. But stuff like that is definitely possible, right? Sure. Whenever you look at biologics, what's possible with gene, gene engineering, uh, you can just look at other organisms and see what's happened with them, Right. And if you're like, well, that organism has multiple limbs, 
then it's theoretically possible to do it genetically. We just have to figure out how to get it to work. How to encode it, yeah. In humans. So it's just a matter of time. Okay. So, But then I think that's one thrust. But how about the off-target effects, right? You throw CRISPR into into cells. No, the off-target effects are something people just like to say you that, actually, okay. that it's like, it's like the boogeyman. No, we like understand that so well now, right? Not only do we understand CRISPR off-target Wasn't effects. Wasn't there like a paper maybe three, six months ago talking about how the off-target effects were much more likely than previously reported? No, no, no. So, well, so let, yeah, me just, well, let me just start from the beginning a little bit. Yeah. So before CRISPR, there were other gene engineering technologies. The way CRISPR and these gene engineering technologies work is they just cut DNA. Yep. So they bind to a specific part of DNA and they cut it. And then when they cut it, stuff happens. You can insert a gene or you can let it just heal on itself. And when it heals, it usually has different stuff in it and you could do genetic engineering. So these other, you know, generation one gene therapies, zinc finger nucleases, talons, they cut DNA also. So we've been studying off-target effects on these ones for like 20 years. So we understand you know, what goes into it, what the possibilities are to affect organisms and stuff like that, right? And they've actually just last year, late last year, started doing clinical trials with these in adult humans, right? So we know they're considered safe enough to do clinical trials in adult humans. Okay. Now with CRISPR, not only do we have all that previous study, but they've been able to use like a bunch of machine learning and a bunch of things so that we're able to design CRISPR systems that have virtually very little off-target effects. Okay. Very little that can be detected. So what was right? that paper that came out? It was uh... There's been multiple papers okay. that came out, like after each other, right? Yeah. And and people were like, oh, there's a lot of off-target effects or something like that. But yeah. then consistently again and again, it's been shown that if you choose the correct CRISPR system and, and do the experiments properly, you don't have to worry about that. Got it. Not only that... You have to understand when you do it on an embryo, you get to check, right? Yeah. People argue, well, you can't completely check because only having like three cells, there could be like mosaicism. So some cells could be edited, some cells could be not in right. the embryo. But like you you get you get a pretty good look at what's going on in the genome of the embryo you edited. So you get to choose before you even implant it. You get to say, Oh, look, that I'm going to check out the 16 cells and count all of them and make sure they're all properly. Well, that yeah. one got messed up, right? So we're not going to use this embryo. Yeah. Wow, this embryo looks perfect and beautiful. Let's use that one. Let's use, right? Yeah. You can just keep editing embryos until you, the same thing with IVF and pre-implantation genetic yeah. diagnosis, yeah. Yeah. right? So it's like, even if there are off-target effects, even if it's a problem, we understand genetics enough. We understand how to do these experiment well enough that it shouldn't be an issue. Sure. So it's kind of like this boogeyman that people are just like off target. People are going to get hurt. And it's like, yeah, if you don't screen, if you don't do it properly, if you don't do it, if you're like doing it in your backyard, sure. But like any reasonable person is going to screen and check and look and make sure that none of that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Where do you think we go next from here? So I think there is some interesting personal drama with Dr. He and what's going to happen with his story. But I think the consent, I think I agree with you on this is that this is going to actually unblock the Pandora's box here where it's like, okay, someone took the risk of being the first here. Like he's a Galileo or the Copernicus. And now people are going to be like, all right, let's, yeah, man. let's, here's what I, here's what I've learned in uh, my foray in science and business and everything like that. And it's that, when everybody else is doing one thing, do the opposite, right? Yeah. If you want to be groundbreaking, if you want to like actually change the world or something, find somebody something that nobody else is doing or that like the mass has chosen as something that they want to be against. Right. For some from some ideological reasons, for not for like concrete reasons. Right. Right. When, whenever it's ideological reasons, you're like, well, what happens if I did just do it? <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened. And now what do you think is going to happen? You think people are going to be like, well, we can use this for diseases, but we can't use it for enhancements. Di- yeah. What do you think? Everybody's just going to be like, okay, 
Yeah. Your ideological reason seems re- it's the most unreasonable ideological thing. Yeah. How how can you tell people that like enhancements are bad? Yeah. Well, I think it just like, also, also on a spectrum. It's just like on a spectrum. At a certain point, if you're just improving people, one is a therapeutic and one is an enhancement. It's like ah. Exactly. You know, like I get a lot of emails for people who want to increase their penis size. <laughs> right? And it's kind of funny, but it's also like for some people that is uh have a micro penis that's actually a therapeutic problem. Yeah. Sure. Right? So where do you decide where the therapeutic cutoff is, right? Are you like, oh well if you have like a certain length a one inch penis <laughs> or two inch penis, then it's good. But if you have like a two and a half inch penis, no, it's bad. Yeah. No, you can't do that. Right? Yeah. And the same thing with things like height, right? Yeah. Like when is height considered a genetic issue and when is it considered an just enhancement. like an cosmetic enhancement. issue, yeah. You can never draw these lines. And those arguments, my thing is, is like if you can't explain it to a two-year-old, give them a good explanation, then like it's just going to happen. Yeah. Right? Well, son, we don't want to do this because, you know, people will be taller and we can't have everybody be taller because, you know, like it might make humanity all tall and... Not a good reason. Just yeah, like, you, can't, you can't like find a good reason, yeah. right? And that's, I think, what the problem is that this stuff is just going to explode. And it's just getting faster and faster. It's a crazy thing, right? Yeah. And it's not being done in academia. It's not being done in industry. Like this, you know, Dr. Zhang Kui from China who did this experiment, like people are just saying, all right, you won't let me do it in academia you won't let me do an industry. I'm just going to do it anyway. Like biohackers are just going to keep doing it. And you're going to start to see a lot more people who are PhDs who have like medical training doing this stuff. Do we have any guidelines or have you, I mean, could we think of some framework in terms of how to maybe give guidance and how to do this responsibly? Hey, I don't, or, or you have the, here's are you the more thing. of an anarchist here? We were just like, hey, like here's technology, just do whatever. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. But like, here's like the thing. Like who's us to say. Here's the thing. It's like, if you look at like your product or you look at like a cell phone. Yeah. Right. Nobody has to come along and tell you like, you need to have a good product. Right. If people buy your product and it doesn't work. Right. If you buy your new Google Pixel phone and it's broke right when you get out of the box right. or after a week, nobody's going to buy a Google Pixel phone. Right. There's no like governing body. There's no FDA for cell phones that like market forces. It's just the market's working properly. And it's hard to say like capitalism will work for this stuff. Right. Because like you have no, I have no idea, but like it can, we know that it can because we see in a lot of technologies how market forces drive stuff to be, you know, happen. Yeah. You know, cars is another example yeah. right and they do have certain laws around it you know like lemon laws or whatever to prevent people from getting sold like cars that just break down right after they take them off the lot but like generally it's just the capitalistic market that drives it right why ask people why do you drive this car why do you drive a tesla yeah, well because it's good quality yeah. good quality right yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i guess like would there be some sensibility around okay we're going to do the best possible way to pre-screen out genetically engineered embryos. We're going to do our best effort there. But if I end up giving you a child that's defective, it's a very cold way of saying it, but there's some issues with it. We're going to I mean, people, take care people of it or People die in hospitals right now going for routine surgery and you die, right? You basically sign that away, right? Which I think <gasps> could, I mean, I think it's a cold, but I think that's a reality, right? Like, it is. And like, is that the right model? Okay, like you're you're signing up for this intervention. There is real it's risks like anything, here, right? Like, and if you maybe die, don't be the first person to do it, maybe be like. But the someone fifth. will want to be the first person, and you should let them be the first person. Exactly. <laughs> Which, yeah, you know, it's like go do it. Sometimes we need like the risk takers of the world just to like go ahead with this stuff, right? That's why I think Doctor Hell will, will seem like I think if when history rewrites, it would just be like maybe he's like the Galileo persecuted in this era, but it's like someone needed to just do it. Yeah, no, and totally. It's like cool. He because he then it. he he opened. We have this like cognitive block where we thought that like we can't do this. Yeah, not for 
any technical reason, just like we can't. And he kind of removed that cognitive block to where we're saying, wow, somebody had enough courage. Maybe people will say it was idiocy. Or arrogance or delusions of but, grandeur. Or whatever. Somebody had enough of this to just like go ahead and do it. That means that other people can. Yep. <laughs> and that's what's crazy. It's like running the first, you know, breaking the four-minute mile. Yeah. It's like it wasn't such a monumental task because now people do it on a daily basis. Yeah. But like it was that cognitive block that people were just like, oh, there's no way it's possible. Yeah. Cool. Anything else we should talk about as we wrap up here? I mean, I think it sounds like this space is going to heat up. So as new developments come on, it would be great to get your thoughts and perspectives. Oh, yeah. No, I'd love to come back and stuff and stuff like that. And I it's really interesting because I see it a lot like the stuff you're doing. It's this mix of like it's not necessarily medicine, but it's this mix. You're doing clinical trial. You're trying to like test out all this stuff um, and you're letting capitalism drive the development of, you know, realistically, you can call it drugs. I mean, the, not for the FDA, right? It's supplements or whatever and yeah, stuff like consumable, that. consumable, sure. Yeah, but like, really, that's what's going on, right? And it's like... Yeah, I think we're testing out a compound, a molecule, an intervention, and seeing how it works and improving it as it gets and more And showing more the data and, and like people yeah. can tr- look at the data and say, yeah. hey, does this work for me? And did it work for other people? And that's the reason I'm going to purchase it. Yep. And I think that's, it's showing that there's a possibility for this market of like capitalistic driven drugs and medicine. Yeah. I mean, do you think that capitalism now just has like a weird connotation to it? I feel like it shouldn't necessarily have a negative connotation because we all, I think all of us are benefiting from how capitalism has function the last couple hundred years to give us all the nice things that we have and we're, what we're doing today. So I think maybe is that just a broader sociological, cultural question where capitalism has morphed or become this kind of maybe authoritarian level of capitalism where like you just can't get that rich anymore. I think people are backlashing against that. Do you think that is where some of the capital market arguments gets critiqued? So we should change the name. We should call it something else. I like when you said like market driven. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than capital. I, really I, like I think when people say capitalism, it's like, oh, you can I have like some phrase. rich billionaire. Maybe we can have market driven medicine. <laughs> which like is that. basically just population driven medicine, right? It's just like people voting with their dollars. Exactly. Right? That's yeah. it. It's like people are voting for what they want. Yeah. And people are like, oh, well, people will get scammed and stuff like that. And you know, like one of the reasons that the majority of clinical trials fail is because the placebo does just as well as the actual treatment. Yeah. Right? And we're talking like has an effect. We're not yeah. talking like the placebo does zero and the treatment does zero. No, we're talking they both do something. Yeah. Right? So then you're talking about like, well, what should be approved and what shouldn't be approved. If a placebo actually has an effect on somebody, what does that say about medicine? Right. It totally... We need to come to these realizations. We need to be real with ourselves. Right. And say, like, like what should we do with medicine if placebos have an effect? Should we outlaw things that, like, have certain labeling or things like that? Are you telling me that there's nobody in the world that their cancer can't be cured by, like, grapefruit seeds. Nobody knows the answer to that. Right. Maybe there's one person. I'm not saying eat grapefruit seeds to cure cancer. It's right. probably Likely not it's a probably good decision. Low, but it, can we categorically rule that out? Probably not either. Exactly. Fair. And that's the interesting thing about medicine is that each person is so unique and so different, right? Clinical trials aren't made for human beings. They're made to mass market drugs. Right. And so how do we get medicine and science to the way to where it tries to treat individuals instead of tries to treat the mass market. And, you know, maybe it's market driven is the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, future's still to be written. So let's help write that and change the culture in a way that's more positive. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. 
Thanks for tuning in this week, everyone. Remember to check out www.hvmn.com pod for this month's special podcast offer. For December 2018, that offer is 15% off our entire HVMN performance supplements line. This is the perfect holiday gift for your friends, family, or even just treating yourself. Are you interested in getting $15 worth of HVMN store credit that you can use on our website? Submit a written review on our iTunes page and send that screenshot to podcast at hvmn.com. Our podcast email line is always open for your suggestions, feedback, and questions. Until next week, friends, stay sharp and train smart.